Okay, hour number two of a Thursday edition of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. We're on the countdown now. Yeah, we got uh, we got eight days. Well, actually, we only have six more programs after today. We have one tomorrow and five next week, and then we shift over to online. By the way, I, I didn't answer Reggie's question very well. He, wa- he wanted to know, you know, about what about calls. Not going to be able to do phone calls, but I should have told you I'm going to have an email account that I'll be able to check during the show that's only going to be for the website and the program. So I'm not going to have to wade through the hundreds and thousands of emails that I get at my NGU address. I'll be able to uh, just get emails that are people asking me questions about the show. So if you want to have a conversation, you can email me and and I can read the email. Now, I think we will do do that and I'm, I'm in fact i'm sure we're going to do it so just working on all these things um trying to get ready for april the 3rd when all this will debut in a different format gene thanks for calling yes uh, you guys going to be in tomorrow for yes, your last sir. program uh to, the last program is a week from tomorrow oh okay good so i got more time with you that's good all right i called in this this uh uh um uh, uh, dilemma or well, this event at Stanford it just typifies, as you pointed out, the nature of the college students, not at law school, but now it's, it's pervasive throughout all the different colleges of our universities. And uh, it ought to frighten a lot of people. I mean, go over historical pattern. These are the, uh, this is the pattern of behavior that occurred uh, in Europe before World War II when there was a rise of fascism. And certainly what comes up out of this is going to be um, um, anti- militant anti-Semitism. And I hope the liberal Jewish people here in America realize that. They, they, they may be in agreement with the LGBT movement and the uh, DEI movement, but, hey, folks, uh, things are going to change, and it's going to be God Almighty who's going to allow this to happen. Now, these are, milita- uh, these are fundamentalist Marxists. You know, guys like you and me are called uh, Bible-believing fundamentalists, right? Right, right, it's, right. It's done in a matter of impugning us. Well, these, these people are, uh, are fundamentalist Marxists. We have every right to call them fundamentalists, and they are fundamentalists at DEI. That is dictatorship, uh, uh, extremism, and tolerance. Oh, I like it. I like that. Give me that again, Gene. Ex- extremism. Dictatorship. Yeah. Got Extremism it. and intolerance. Excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna call that the gene formula, because uh, well, no, actually, it's my brother Bud who told me that. He's been on the internet uh, uh, rebuking these people with those words. Okay. All right. Well, we'll call it the Gene Bud formula then. Gene, thanks for the go. call. I, I appreciate it very much. Uh, dictatorship. Uh, what was the other? Say I've already. I didn't even get it right down. Extremism. Extremism. And intolerance. Intolerance. D-E-I. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the FBI, only we've changed a only, couple Yeah, letters. only with a cut. Yeah. To okay, I'm, just write, I'm writing that down. I like that. that that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Um, all right. As we talk about extremism and we talk about dictatorship and intolerance, we, we should just go ahead and switch over and talk about the latest U.N. intergovernmental panel in, on climate change, the IPCC. Uh, they've released a new assessment. Now, before I get into this, I want to remind you of something. You, you remember back in the 80s and 90s in particular, 
we had a lot of people talking about the end of the world. I mean, there was a book, 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 88. There were people, um, I know that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the Calvary Chapel movement, and it, it, it suffered some sort of a, a setback when um, Smith came out and said, you know, the end of the world is going to be, I think it was in 1981. And, of course, it didn't come. Um, and, and, and so people become discredited when they make all these predictions and they get people ginned up to the point that they're selling their property, they're uh, getting ready for the second coming. Now, for Christians, we welcome that. I mean, that's something we're looking forward to. We want the return of Jesus Christ. We want heaven to come to earth and the new Jerusalem and and the earth. We have a new heaven and a new earth. All of those things are good news and exciting news for us. But when people go out and start making these these predictions that they can't know for sure, I, I don't understand what it is that people don't understand. When Jesus said, look, the angels in heaven don't know the time, even the Son doesn't know. Now, I, try to wrap your, wrap your mind around the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the idea of the Trinity, and that, but, but yet there's something that the Father knows that, that the Son and the Holy Spirit doesn't know that there's some, and, and people go nuts about this. You know, they go, well, that, that just that just blows the whole idea of, of the shared essence of the Father-Son. No, it doesn't. What it, it, it defends the sovereignty of God. If there's something that only God, as the first person of the Trinity, can understand or can know at this moment, then that's, you know, he's, that's his prerogative. So in any event— um, it, it, when when the scripture clearly says the angels in heaven don't know the sun doesn't even know but you think you know the arrogance in that is pretty stunning that you would dare come out and say this is this is when Jesus is going to come back uh, so you know more than God that's what you're telling me that's the only thing you can say so the only answer would be yes I I know more than God so that discredits those people when they make those predictions and they don't come to pass. The IPCC is getting close to having the same problem. They're going to be discredited because now they're putting out statements saying, essentially, it's too late. They, they don't want you to know that it's too late. They want you to still believe that something could be done to keep us from crossing the Rubicon, the threshold of no return where we can't reclaim the climate, that we're just going to be, we're in an endless cycle of, of, of climate change and we're not going to be able to recover. See, if they ever say that, if they ever really say that, then okay, um, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. What difference does it make? If there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do. So we should do what? Nothing. I mean, why spend all this money? Why, uh, you know, do all this shouting and screaming? Why transfer wealth from the countries in the world that are considered more wealthy to the poor countries, the big redistribution of wealth scheme, which is what climate change has been from the beginning, although there are changes happening in the climate, but it's been seized upon by those who want to transfer wealth, undermine the West, and basically give China, uh, countries like China, a big leg up. So, you know, if, if the IPCC says, well, it's too late, 
then okay, then wh- why why are we still out here stressing over it? We just need to live until the world comes to an end. And here's the other thing. If the world doesn't come to an end, then the IPCC loses credibility. I mean, you know, you, you can't yell that the sky is falling unless the sky falls. If the sky doesn't fall and you've been running around and telling everybody that it's falling, then you're the one that gets discredited. That happened with Al Gore. You know, Al Gore, he, he wrote, what, 20 years ago? We, we've got 12 years. Maybe we've got, well, here we are. We're still here. I, mean, I feel like I, I feel like Papillon, you know, if you've ever seen that Steve McQueen movie, you know, where they lock him up in this terrible French prison. And then, you know, he jumps up at one point. I'm still here. Can't tell you the rest of it because it's PG-13. But he tells me, he tells him, I'm still here. We're still here. And yet all the climate change people say we should be dead by now. Chicago ought to be underwater. You know, we should be swimming to get to work. Uh, there ought to be sharks swimming around in town square. We, we don't have any of that. And it's because all of their predictions have been outrageous. They've been designed to scare people into taking drastic action that should be plain now that was not necessary because none of those predictions have come through have come true now the ipcc has come out with a new assessment uh eight years in the making and it was released this past monday this is according to national review and one climate scientist build build it as the final warning that catastrophic climate change is imminent so if this is the final warning and eight years from now, another report comes out. What is it going to be? This is kind of like the Eagles' farewell tour. You know, what was it, 10 years ago, the Eagles came out and said, we're going to do a farewell tour. This is it. We're done after this. They've been on a farewell tour for 10 years plus. They're, they're coming again. I mean, it's, you know. So this is the, the, the IPCC. Are they going to are they going to come out in 8 years and and they shouldn't be able to come out in 8 years if this is the final warning in fact once all of these things that they say are going to happen happens they ought to pack up shop and just go play golf until they have to put on scuba gear to play I mean that doesn't that make sense did they put an end date on it or is this one of those things No 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 it's it can't still recover but it but we might stretches on forever We might now, I'm just going to read some of this to you because I, I want you to get the sense of that. This is for 3.5 billion human beings who reside in areas that the IPCC deems highly vulnerable to climate change. I mean, according to this report, this is what they're going to face. Acute food insecurity. Reduced water security. Already, human mortality from floods, droughts, and storms is on the rise, and that trend will accelerate. Mass mortality events and species loss will continue threatening interdependent ecosystems. Eventually, the Arctic permafrost will melt, releasing trapped greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and contributing to a runaway cycle of ecological devastation. The eschaton will be particularly bad for the economically and socially marginalized. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 
with profound ramifications for gender and social equity. Okay, so there we go. This is the IPCC. So what what are we doing? Why do we even care? All this is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it now. I could just I could just see see jaws coming at us while I was I was I was reading all this. So what are policymakers supposed to do to avert all this impending doom? According to this article. By the way, this is all coming from National Review Noah Rothman. What what are what are all these people supposed to do? I mean, what is there anything that we can do? Uh, the first step would be to mothball coal-fired power plants and cancel plans for any new ones. They say that coal-fired power plants are the main problem, and we got to get rid of them, every one of them. But actually, China is building the equivalent of two coal-fired power plants per week. So... They're, they're, are they listening to any stuff? Can you imagine Xi Jinping? I've got this picture of him, of him sitting in some big office, communist communist flag behind him, lackeys running left and right, you know, because he's he's the he's the communist guru in China. I'm imagining him sitting there reading this report, going, oh, 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 oh. you know, I mean, you know, let's build build another plant. Build another power plant. Get, get, they're going to keep going. Do you, does anybody think that Xi Jinping is going to cower in his in his office and go, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? China has more coal-fired power plants than anybody, and 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 we're building building them at a rate of of, of, of about two a year. Um, we we need to stop because we're gonna we're we're gonna destroy the planet. I just don't, I, I'm sorry, but I think what they're doing, what he's doing, is going. Does what those Westerners? They're killing themselves. What we don't have to do anything. Why are we spending all this money? In fact, if I was Xi Jinping, I would go. I, I'm not going to spend any more money on the military. By the time they get through killing themselves over there, all we'll have to have is a couple of rowboats and some guys with spears, and they'll be able to go over and take over the whole country. I mean, really? I, I, it, he he's he's laughing about this because China's not going to participate in this. They'll send delegates to the interclimate meetings, you know, the international meetings on climate change. They'll they'll put statements in for the IPCC and then they'll sit back and watch as we destroy ourselves over climate change. Okay? So, what 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 are we going to do? If we can't if we can't stop them, so what about tree planting? You know, that's, that's the next thing. The world can and should commit to reforestation and the cultivation of carbon-absorbing vegetation like peat moss. So let's plant a bunch of peat and let's, let, let's get some more trees going. And yet, as The Guardian admits, no amount of tree planting and peat moss is going to be enough to cancel out the effects of continued fossil fuel emissions. So what about promising new ways of removing carbon from the atmosphere? Have you been reading about this? I saw two stories about this last week. So-called carbon capture and storage, CCS technologies. The IPCC holds out hope for them, but wah, wah, at the same time that they say that could be our future, they admit that it's still in the development stages and it remains cost prohibitive. 
In other words, we're not sure how to do it, and even if we do, we couldn't afford it. But that's going to save us. We're going we're, we're gonna to figure all this out. That's a diplomatic description of what looks like less, less like a panacea and more like a boondoggle every day. Under Joe Biden, the U.S. Department of Energy launched a five-year, $3.5 billion program to build four regional direct air capture hubs designed to harness and store CO2 underground. An Iceland-based hub that serves as proof of concept captures around 4,000 tons of CO2 per year, but that barely registers compared to the estimated 36.8 billion tons of energy released related global emissions produced each year. So the Department of Energy says they're spending $3.5 billion for a direct air capture uh, device that can store four, maybe 6,000 tons of CO2 underground. When we're releasing $36.8 billion? That amounts to a pinprick. It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. Some firms are investing in carbon capture technologies to purchase carbon offsets, a scheme that commodity commodifies emissions reductions to justify the claim that its existing emissions are effectively net zero. Yeah, when, when a company comes out and says we have net zero carbon emissions, let me, let me explain what that means. It means that the carbon offset market registries are systematically overcrediting projects and delivering dubious, car, dubious carbon offsets. Indeed, offsets have allowed some environmentally disruptive industries, logging, for example, to engage in unsustainable practices while taking credit for reducing emissions. So it's this deal. They invest X number of dollars. You know, let's say the logging firm over here, they go out and say, okay, to be carbon neutral, we need to put a million dollars toward this carbon reduction scheme over here. And once we do that, we'll offset. It'll take a million dollars or 10 million, whatever it takes, of investment on our part to capture enough carbon to offset the carbon that we're putting in the atmosphere and then we can run around and tell everybody hey we're carbon neutral don't come and 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 you know put traps in our woods which some of these extremists i mean they they put up um traps in the woods for loggers and they they get hurt i mean that you know they're kind of like um a thin line across between trees that well, if a, if a logger's coming doesn't see it, it could it could cut them, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it, they're, they're spiking trees and doing all kind of stuff to hurt people. And so the logging industry just comes along and says, hey, you can knock it off now because we're carbon neutral. Why? Or, or, or have we really reduced the amount of carbon or, or our contribution to the depletion of the carbon in the atmosphere? No, not really. We just put some money over here, got some credits, and, and now because we can null this out, we're actually carbon neutral. It's it's a scam. Under Joe Biden, well, we talked about the the thing the thing about the carbon capture three and a half billion. So maybe there's 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 no there's nothing we can do. And if there's nothing we can do, why are we doing all this stuff? If it's not going to make any difference, anything that we do is not going to affect climate to the point that is necessary, according to the IPCC, 
to get us out of the mess that we're in. So now the only thing to do is to wait and see if they're right. According to the IPCC, temperatures have risen 2 degrees Fahrenheit since the Industrial Revolution. That's the average temperature. And it's going to rise another 0.4 degrees before we get to the 22nd century. In other words, before the end of this century, we're going to be up to 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit. And they say that's the, that's the Rubicon. Once we cross that, there's nothing we can do. We can't reverse the process. So I, I guess if, if, if there's <laughs> nothing we can do now, I mean, that's why they're coming after your gas stove. They're coming after your gas stove because they can based on the IPCC. Their IPCC is putting out all these reports. Biden administration, people that are woke, progressive, left wing. Okay, we've got to make ourselves feel good. We're going to go out and take your gas stove, even though the impact on the climate is nothing, zero, negligible. Doesn't matter. You, you've got to stop using because we're going to tell you what you can and can't do in your own home and with your own stuff. Once we give in to that, which we gave into it big time under COVID, then, I mean, what can the government not do? Okay, we're, we're going to do something kind of weird here that we don't, we don't normally do on the program. But you know what? We're, we're, we're coming to an end here. <laughs> Let's just the the his radio talk ninety one nine eighty nine seven. We're about to um, close up shop as a talk radio format. We're going to have music here, um, and of course, I'm, I'm as I've told you, um, you drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. You'll it's a website. You'll be able to hopefully listen to the program live. You can email me during the show, so forth. So. Um, but Todd Starnes, and, and I know Todd Starnes. Todd, Todd Starnes has been at North Greenville several times. Uh, I've been in uh, different programs with him, uh, and I like him. I, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm attacking him. I'm questioning what he has to say about what – I mean, he's talking about Ron DeSantis. What, I'm, we're going to play this again because I, I want you to hear it before I comment on it fully. But he's talking about the fact that Ron DeSantis won't talk to him, and he's he's kind of complaining about it. But what he says in his complaint fascinates me because I hear him. You you got you got to understand. I'm it's not that I'm I'm not hearing what Todd Starnes has to say. We play him every morning at the eight thirty break, and I'm I'm sitting here listening. So here's what he said just a minute ago. The Republican Party is a mess, folks. The supporters of Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are fighting like cats and dogs. Now, I believe both men are very capable of being the next commander-in-chief. But their supporters are demanding we must pledge allegiance. Team DeSantis is especially playing hardball. If you're not an elite social media influencer, you are cut off. More than 3 million people read my website daily. More than a million subscribe to my podcast. But even that is not enough to get an interview with DeSantis. I've interviewed Trump, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, but DeSantis is off limits. All of us are on the same team here, freedom-loving Americans, God and country. The bickering and name-calling needs to stop. We have much more important work to accomplish. And 2024 does not need to be the year that we lose our great republic on account of friendly fire. I'm Todd Starnes. 
Todd Starnes has launched more friendly fire than anybody that I know of in public life. I don't know that he even realizes that. And look, my show, my commentary, I'm a regional guy. I'm, I'm, he dwarfs me. I get it. I mean, I don't have anywhere in the neighborhood of his support or his listeners or anything like that. And please, so please understand that I acknowledge that. I, mean, I know I've, I, I could have people say, well, who cares what you think? Todd Starnes has got millions. Of, I, I get it. He's a nationally known personality. I've, I'm known in South Carolina primarily. So, if to the extent that I am, so, but but I mean I mean I'm serious. If you listen to him, you know he attacks all the time. I mean, launches attacks against people that should be on the same side and and actually are on the same side that we're on. And now he thinks, oh, we've got division because Ron DeSantis won't come on his show. Maybe the reason Ron DeSantis won't come on his show is because Todd Starnes has demonstrated that he is Trump to the 10th power. Yeah, he's interviewed Trump. He's interviewed Mike Pence. The only way you get an interview with Trump is by making sure that you've never said one word disparaging about him if you're in conservative circles. Then you might get an interview with him. You know, so, you know, Todd Starnes can't have it both ways. You you can't come out and go after people and speak about them the way that he does and then coming back and say, well, it's not fair. I mean, i got all these people listening to me. Why won't Ron DeSantis come on my show? Well, maybe because you've demonstrated sort of a, a tendency toward going after people that are – on our side and fostering this division that we've got within the Republican Party. Yes, we have a divided Republican Party, and it's the rhetoric of a Todd Starnes that lends itself to make that divide worse. Now he's calling for unity. All of a sudden, we need to have unity instead of going after people that we disagree with, calling them rhinos. Going, I mean, Folks, it, it it doesn't work that way. Okay, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna have unity, we've got to respect each other. We've got not we've got to be not ten not leaning toward going after people that we don't agree with all the time. And I'm, I look Todd Starnes and Todd Starnes and I don't agree a lot of times on the way that he approaches things. But I'm still I'm a Todd Starnes fan. I mean, I think he should be out there saying what he says, even if I disagree with him on some of the things. But for him to say the things he says and then complain about we don't have any unity, <laughs> you know, you, you need to stop and think part of the reason is because we go after each other in the Republican Party. I'm, I'm trying my best not to disparage people that I mostly am in agreement with. You know, I'm just I'm 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 an old Reaganite where I, I go back to the fact that if eight if we're in agreement on eighty percent of what you know of, of, of what we believe, then 
there can be room for 20% disagreement, but that's not the world we live in today. The world we live in today is you've got to 100% agree with every way I cross my T's and dot my I's or you're an anathema. We're going to go out here and start another group because your group is not real. That's the world we live in today. And that's why we have a divided Republican Party. We can't foster that division. We can't allow that division to grow. We can't put ourselves in a position to make that division worse and then go whine about it. And I, I'm not saying Todd Starnes is a whiner. I'm saying, compl- let, let me back off of that word, complain about it. We can't, we can't then say, well, this is bad. How did, how did we get here? Well, we we got here because you we 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 think everybody's got to be in the exact same position on the exact same page, or you don't belong. And I'm telling you, folks, that let me tell you the kind of thing that that leads to. On the left, it's destroying the left because listen to this story. I was stunned when I read about this Michigan college. Grand Valley State University is set. Now, this is coming from National Review, R.A. Bluff. Grant GVSU is set to host five different graduation ceremonies segregated by ethnic background, race, and sexual orientation. I thought segregation was bad. I thought separate but equal. Didn't we go through this in the 1960s where the Supreme Court came out and said, you know, at first they said separate but equal, and then we came back and said, no, 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 we've got to integrate, integration. We've got to work together. In an email sent to community members that went viral on Twitter, the Michigan College's Multicultural Affairs Office, uh, there, right there is the problem, that you've got a multicultural affairs office. How many people are drawing salaries at this university because that what they do is they sit around and figure out ways to segregate the population. They, they, it, it, the Multicultural Affairs Office outlined that the school would be hosting five unique graduation celebrations designed to honor our diverse graduates. Following the announcement, the email outlined that separate graduation celebrations would be held for Asian, Black, Latino, Latino A, and X. I mean, you've got to put those little things, you know, it's got to be. Latinx and Latina in there, Native Americans and Lavender students throughout this coming April. Now, who are, who are Lavender? LGBTQIA+. That's, Viking fans. That's the No. No. Good try. Sorry. Not Viking, not Viking fans. The black graduation ceremony will be representative of black African American and African tradition, heritage, culture, and legacy. Uh, the news led conservative commentator Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire to condemn the segregated ce- ceremonies as ridiculous. There'll be no se- special ce- uh, celebrations for straight white people, of course. However, GVSU has challenged the notion that such initiatives constitute student segregation. <laughs> really? I mean, you're going to segregate students on graduation day and have different celebrations for them that cater to their particularly race, ethic, or sexual preferences, and you don't call that segregation? It's, it's a, it's, it is absolutely segregation. 
Grand Valley State University holds unified commencement ceremonies for all of its graduates. It is not segregating graduation ceremonies, as some people have said. The vast majority of graduating students who participate in these celebrations also choose to participate in our larger commencement ceremony where degrees are conferred. Yeah. So, in other words, these it's giving students the opportunity, if they don't want to, co- to participate in the larger comm- commencement service, they can go and graduate in these segregated celebrations. These celebrations are an avenue for highlighting the key moment of graduation with the personal community that they hold dear. Celebrations include events for multicultural affairs, uh, lavender, Asian, first-generation, low-income, black, Latinx, native community. I mean, on and on and on. In 2019, GVSU students voted to remove the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance during official meetings. That decision was overturned later by the administration, I guess. But I, I think I, they shouldn't be doing the Pledge of Allegiance because there's nothing American about this. There's nothing American about having segregation ingrained in the minds of these students as they graduate, putting them in a position to think of themselves based only on their personal identity, not the things that everybody shares. I, I, I can't imagine a college doing that, but they're doing it. Okay, we're going to run through uh, some stories here. We've got about 10 minutes left in today's edition, so we're going to uh, try to uh, kind of do a spaghetti segment where we just throw stuff up against the wall here, see what sticks. Um, this coming from the Daily Signal, Adam Kessel and Jack Fitzhenry. Federal agency contradicts Biden, says student loan cancellation not in effect. You know, the Biden administration, these people who are running Joe Biden are the most arrogant people that have ever stepped into a government office because they think they can just say this is the way it's going to be. And when the courts come in or the uh, any other government agency comes in and says, well, no, actually, you can't do it that way. They're just like, oh, yeah, really? Says who? We can do whatever we want to. We're the president of the United States. This is the executive branch. That, that's how despotic this entire administration has been. But here's the story. Another wrinkle has been introduced into the short, tortured existence of President Joe Biden's student debt cancellation plan. On Friday, the U.S. Government Accountability Office issued an opinion stating that the Biden administration's student loan cancellation is not in effect. See, the Biden administration wants to say, even though it's being challenged, Supreme Court's looked at it, oh, no, 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 it's in effect. We're going to act as if it's actually in effect. But the GAO says, nope. It's a rule that substantially impacts the rights and obligations of private parties, and such rules must be submitted to Congress before taking effect. The GAO's ruling provides Congress with a previously unavailable opportunity to weigh in on mass student debt cancellation, and several Republicans are seizing the moment. Following the GAO's ruling, Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican Louisiana, John Cornyn, Republican Texas, and Joni Ernst, Republican Iowa, announced that they will introduce a Congressional Review Act resolution to overturn President Biden's student loan cancellation scheme, which would transfer up to $20,000 in student loan debt per borrower into taxpayers costing, uh, over to taxpayers, costing an estimated $400 billion. Now, here's what's going to happen. The House will pass this. The Senate 
might pass it because there's there are a lot of senators that are going to be up for re-election this time in red states that are Democrats, and they understand if if they don't vote to stop some of this mindless stuff that the Biden administration is doing, this power grab, this raw power takeover, they're not going to get elected. And so this is something that might pass both chambers. President Biden would veto it, of course, but it doesn't matter because, you know, this is going to tie it up until the Supreme Court rules on the lawsuit, which is likely they're, they're going to come out and tell the Biden administration they can't just unilaterally forgive debt. This is all also coming from the Daily Signal. There's a lawsuit that's challenging Wyoming's first-in-the-nation ban on the abortion pill. Wyoming is out in front on pro-life stuff, ladies and gentlemen. South Carolina, we're, I mean, we're an abortion destination state. Wyoming is out about the business of protecting life in the womb. And right now, the most utilized abortion procedure in America is the abortion pill. That's according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-choice research organization, just insert pro-death research organization spun off from Planned Parenthood. More than half of all abortions in America are carried out using the abortion pill, but Wyoming just became the first state to ban the pill entirely. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon, a Republican, signed a bill Friday that makes it a felony to sell, use, or prescribe any drug for the purpose of procuring or performing an abortion. Breaking the law could result in a six-month jail sentence, a $9,000 fine. The law is supposed to take effect July 1st, but a pro-abortion group, of course, has filed uh, a lawsuit aimed at preventing the ban on abortion pills from taking place in Wyoming. In case you don't know, the process of a chemical abortion works like this. First, a woman takes mifepristone, which prevents the baby in the womb from receiving human progesterone. Without progesterone, the lining of the uterus deteriorates, ultimately resulting in the unborn child's death. Usually, a couple of days later, they take mifepristone, which is a second pill that completes the abortion. Excuse me, this misoprestol. Misoprestol is a, uh, the name of the, the second pill. It causes a woman to have contractions that eventually expel the dead baby from her uterus. Now, there are all kinds of problems with this that affect the health of the woman that takes the medication. But, of course, none of that's going to be reported because if people knew the pain, the, the horror of a chemical abortion, uh, they, I, I mean, people would be just, just like being able to see into the womb, seeing uh, an ultrasound pictures of, of, an, of a baby in the womb, uh, is changing people's minds about abortion and about what life looks like. If they could see what this chemical does, how it hurts women, how it affects their health, and possibly, for some women, prevents them from being able to have babies in the future? When they decide? I mean, this is, first of all, bully for Wyoming that they passed this law. Wyoming's already passed one of the most stringent pro-life bills in the country, protecting life beginning at conception. And now they're going after the abortion pill. They're serious about protecting life in the state of Wyoming. They are a pro-life state.
Okay, House panel report um, says that there's no legitimate basis for the DOJ targeting of protesting parents. Now, we knew that. We didn't need a House report to come up with that. We knew that the Department of Justice was labeling, essentially labeling parents that disagreed with school board policy as terrorists, treating them as a national security threat because of a letter from the National Teachers Association. I mean, this is, you know, you've got the Justice Department working in league with a Democrat-funded, progressive, left-wing organization to come up with policies to protect that left-wing organization's positions and using the Justice Department to shut down debate. Quote, from the initial set of material produced in response to the subpoenas, it is apparent that the Biden administration misused federal law enforcement and counterterrorism resources for political purposes. That's what the House Judiciary Committee report concludes. For those who followed the story, the conclusion of the report released on Tuesday might seem obvious. That's, that's what I'm saying. This is a duh story. It's like, what? Duh? Of course. It's wrong to use the federal government to interfere with parents' rights to speak at school board meetings. But it's still important to catalog how government agencies have been weaponized for partisan ends. In 2021, a series of protests erupted at Virginia school board meetings due to the adoption of the teaching of critical race theory as well as transgender policies and COVID-19 restrictions. Parents were fed up with radical policies being foisted on their children and showed up in mass at school board meetings to voice their concerns. The trend repeated itself across the country, but it was particularly noteworthy in Virginia due to the tightly contested governor's race at the time between former Governor Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, who won the race. So now it's been investigated. The, the report's going to be printed. It's going to contain all the evidence that the Justice Department actually worked in concert with a teacher's organization to classify parents as criminals because they were showing up at school boards and voicing their concerns. That's the extreme nature, ladies and gentlemen, of the Biden administration. We have got to get out from under these people. And we do that by going to the ballot box and voting in a new administration. So we're about a year and a half from that. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. I'll see you tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Join us.